Welcome to Office Baggage, where two corporate women unpack our week in business. Every week, co-hosts Ray Parent and Marcy Tweet tackle the WTF business topics you want to talk about on every rung of the business ladder. Bring your baggage. We'll We'll unpack it. Hello, podcast listeners. It's Marcy Tweet, your host, and this week's episode is a very special dual-posted episode I felt was relevant for both Office Baggage listeners and Table Stakes listeners. If you're listening to this on either podcast and not familiar with the other, let me give you a 30-second plug. Office Baggage Podcast launched in 2017, and with my co-host Ray, we unpack the topics that are often brushed under the office rug for women in the workplace. Table Stakes is brand new, launching in June 2020, and discusses the issues of sustainability with forward-thinking leaders to forecast the future of responsible business. I'm honored to be the host of these two platforms, and I hope they spark conversation that moves business to a more transparent and inclusive environment. Today's show was originally meant to be two separate shows, a conversation with the CEO of the Prins Law Firm, Kristen Prins, for office baggage on the ways pandemic has affected women and a return to work following the crisis. The second was a conversation with Parker Avery's Kathy Toll, an expert in change management about the principles of change management that must be applied as we consider a return to the workplace following this pandemic. As I cut these episodes, it was clear the advice and thoughtful narrative of these two women rang stronger and truer when put together. As we enter July, the world is shifting meaningfully. We are entering the back half of a year that has been truly, and I hate to use this word again, unprecedented in its effects. Millions of Americans are navigating a return to work this month, And many are still navigating their way through unemployment, searching for a job in the midst of a crisis. And all of us are still navigating this pandemic. We're hearing words like post-pandemic while at the same time seeing surges in states across the country. These macroeconomic factors coming together and changes that are happening simultaneously will have far-reaching impacts for all of us. In Chicago, for example, we keep hearing the term carpocalypse thrown around as the city prepares for incredible amounts of post-pandemic traffic as a result of employees coming back to work downtown, but still uncomfortable carpooling or riding the metra. This is just one of the many impacts work and the pandemic might produce this summer and into the fall. I hope you'll enjoy my conversations with Kathy Toll and Kristen Prins. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback, and perhaps the two of them will join us again soon together as we navigate this return to work through the summer and into the fall. Find us at tablestakespodcast.com or officebaggagepodcast.com and participate in the conversation on social media, on our websites, or always feel free to email me at marcy at marcytweet.com. Stay safe in the next weeks and months as you navigate your time, whether going back to work, continuing to work from home, but for all of us, weathering the effects of this long-term and continuing pandemic. All the best to you and your family. Enjoy today's episode with Kathy Toll and Kristen Prince. Let's start today's podcast with Kristen Prince. 
an employment attorney, business counselor, and the founder of the Prins Law Firm. Prins Law Firm's specialty is employment. They work with companies to protect them from liability in recruiting, hiring, onboarding, assessing, and separating from employees. Her expertise is helping businesses launch and grow and thrive by leveraging their employee and business relationships. She's truly an expert at everything business related. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you, Marcy. I'm so excited to be on this. I've been listening to your podcast and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thank you. So let's jump right in top of mind right now, right? COVID-19 has brought so many topics to the surface as it relates to workplace, employment, and perhaps things that should have been addressed long ago, you know, mental health, work-life balance. How have you seen these kinds of conversations play out in your own business or with your clients thus far in this pandemic? It's funny. I just had conversations today about exactly that People are worried. A lot of employers are worried that their employees might be too scared to return to work. And how do they deal with that when people are scared about returning to work? Uh, Another conversation is, well, how deep into the mental health issues should we go as an employer? Because in the past, as a law firm, we would say, you really want to stay away from those topics as much as possible because, you know, all of a sudden you could be exposed to some liability that you weren't planning on. But now the conversation is changing a bit. We're, we're trying to make sure that clients have resources for their employees and can direct them to them and remind them. So yeah, there's the EAP, but you know who's checking in to see if an employee needs that? Who's reminding them that they should be reaching out for help, right? It's right. happening a lot. It's interesting. I was talking with a friend um, just this last week who had an employee go through something personally that was really awful. It was a situation with her, her family that my friend said, you wouldn't normally have thought this was an FMLA or a situation where they would take time off. You know, we've traditionally thought of FMLA as uh, illness and, and some of those other things, but because her company had done so much kind of proactive outreach about EAP and FMLA and what those things were, it then was top of mind for her to to recommend that to her staff member who was going through some of these issues. So the more we talk about it, the more people even realize those those opportunities are there to help you through difficult times. Yeah, we've had a lot of the pro bono conversations where people are asking, well, what do I do? And it is interesting that it is not top of mind for employees either to say, oh, maybe this is a time when I should be requesting FMLA. So it's, it's interesting. I think that we, none of us really think about what are all the times when FMLA might be appropriate. And sometimes it seems like a reach, but right now, if you have to take care of a family member, even because for example, I mean, now it's part of the law. If you have to take care of a child who's out of school, you can have FMLA. Yes. It's questionable though, if you work for a large employer that might not be covered, you probably still need to like get a physician's recommendation for your child. Right. Absolutely. So it's interesting. This kind of bridges the gap when we talk about childcare of this conversation about women and and COVID-19. You know, there are all kinds of articles. I'll link one in the show notes from The Guardian talking about how much of the domestic burden in COVID-19 is shouldered by women. 
And aside from this just being frustrating and, and annoying for all of us, you said something to me that I thought was really interesting, that it might be an opportunity for all of us to advocate for gender equality in our homes and at work. So how do you see, how do you take this in your own life as an opportunity to advocate for yourself? And how do you recommend women do that so that we don't end up shouldering all of the childcare, all of the domestic burden during a crisis like this? Everything in life comes down to communication. I'm laughing a little bit because I, I think uh, my husband would say that he also is shouldering, he's shouldering a lot of domestic responsibilities. <laughs> I don't like to cook. I'm not, you know, all these people are like baking bread. That's definitely not me. Yeah. I've, di- I've dove into work even more maybe, but the homeschooling certainly has put some pressure you know, this always makes me think of years ago, my sister uh, complained to me because she felt that the women in her company kept getting more and more work and that she noticed some of their male colleagues were getting assistance. And she said she didn't think it was fair. And I said, well, what happens when they ask you to take on more work? And she said, well, I do it. I take it on. And I said, well, what do you think these guys are doing? And she said, well, they said, well, we'll take on this work, but only if you provide this help. So I think sometimes we're just not putting in place boundaries. And then you do that day after day after day. And all of a sudden you start looking around and saying, well, I'm doing all the work here and what's going on. And we start, there, there becomes this like um, animosity or resentfulness that's not, that comes out of that. But the fact is that we never set the boundaries. And I think women, we always feel like we have to do more and, uh, you know, for me, it's more often at work or even with my children, but I see that with, you know, how people keep their home and how organized they are and how, and constantly taking on more responsibility. So I'm hoping that people just hit the breaking point, that more women hit the breaking point and say, whether it's to their male or female partner or their boss or whoever, this is what I need to be successful because at a certain point, the more you take on, you know, you take on too much and then you're not doing a good job at any of the things that you're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you're not, yeah, it's failing at everything versus being present in the things that you can be in at that moment. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts and, and sort of purview on this as, as an employment attorney. You know, this unemployment shock of this crisis has certainly affected more women than men, um, which is different because most recessions are what what are termed man sessions, right? But because women are more likely to hold jobs that might have close personal contact, um, we're more affected. So as you've worked with clients during this time, do you find that employers are thinking about that disproportional effect? Is it a conversation right now? No. I mean, I'm just being blunt about it. I don't think that people are really noticing that because everybody's in their own, their own world, whether it's their company or their personal job. And what I'm seeing is more that everybody feels like the worst is happening to them instead of, oh, let's look around and see who, because in fact, really the worst is probably not happening to as many people that you and I are interacting with as people who are maybe outside that sphere. I do think it's a conversation people should be having more. What I am saying is I have some clients who have manufacturing companies and 
they're just talking about maybe having an older workforce or having a workforce mm. that's a, a little bit more susceptible to COVID. So it's interesting because I just read an article the other day that said the younger workforce is being most affected in terms of unemployment, that the over 50 um, uh, group is less affected. And yet I'm seeing that they're the most at risk. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Very interesting. It's it's one of the questions I wanted to ask you about because I've seen a number of examples where a company has done layoffs and you know, let's say there's a team of 10 and the two people that they choose to lay off happen to be the oldest members of that team. Um, one of the things I worry about for employees, not just in age, but maybe in, in sex discrimination as well, is might employers use COVID-19 as an excuse for discriminatory or retaliatory dismissals. So from an employment law standpoint, what should employees do if they fear that their COVID-19 layoff might not really be a COVID-19 layoff, or if they feel it was in some way discriminatory or concerning? It's so hard right now because there's going to be this inference that there is a legitimate business reason. So it really depends on the circumstances. And the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of, which I hate to say, because I, in fact, I tell the employer clients to not do this, or certainly to not say it, but some employers I'm seeing are using COVID to maybe get rid of people who are not the best performers. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the discrimination, yeah, because what I'm seeing is maybe the discrimination was happening already, and then they kind of already had their favorites, and then they're they're cutting someone. Yep. Most of the time, if the employer is giving severance, I, I usually am advising at this point, let's try and negotiate for more, you know, go back and try and negotiate for more or get an attorney and try and negotiate for more. Um, because the litigation process is so slowed, all of our cases are put mm-hmm. on hold essentially right now anyway. So if you're going to be unemployed, at least you have some income from the unemployment, but at the same time, I mean, to go, you know, year, two years, three years, I don't know, who knows how long everything is going to be on hold. Uh, I think it's a very difficult time. So I'm trying to push people to, you know, ask for the, ask for some severance. Yeah. Negotiate and get out of there and move on. Right. Yeah. And there, I, you know, there's, we're focused very much on unemployment and I, Unemployment, I think, is actually going to go even higher. But at the same time, there are there are companies hiring. There are industries that are hiring. And so I'm trying to get people to be more open-minded about maybe what they're looking at, too. Maybe it's a time for a career change. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I um, did a podcast interview with uh, JT O'Donnell, who's the CEO of Work It Daily. And that was her same advice as well, is don't sit on this and say, well, nobody's hiring, so I guess I'll just wait until companies are back. There are companies hiring. Find the right places that your skill set will fit in this economy. Um, There are opportunities. It's not easy. It's probably more difficult than it was before, but it's there. Well, and especially if you're going to be the proactive person, because there are a lot of people who are kind of taking this as, okay, well, this is my break because the government, the federal government subsidizing unemployment. So if you, if you were making between, you know, 40 and 60,000 or even maybe 70,000 in some states, you might be better off just saying, well, Hey, I'm going to stay on unemployment. 
I mean, I've heard a lot of employers say that they can't get their employees to come back because they're making more on unemployment. Yeah. And I don't think the unemployment office is doing much of a job of monitoring the job searches. So you could be actually having less mm-hmm. competition right now than you will when all of that expires in a few months. Right. I think there will also be a lot of shakeup happening once people come back to work because, you know, it's natural that that people will want something new if they've been laid off for a while coming back and and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, somebody was ta- one of my clients was telling me that they think that when they come back to the office cuz they're they're more like white collar office job that they're going to have some people who want to leave because uh, they got used to working from home and that's what they want now. Or if they don't come back to the office and they stay remote, they might have some people leave because they really want an office interactive environment. So you have a unique position of not only advising businesses through this time, but also being a business owner. What has it been like for you as an employer to weather this storm? How are you supporting, encouraging your employees? Have you done anything really differently that you've done in the past? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done a lot differently. Uh, first of all, I think, luckily, I've had the business long enough where I I think if this happened a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have had the same level of trust in my team. So um, I've taken a hands-off approach to some extent, but then a, a very hands-on approach in terms of communication. So weekly, we have, on Fridays, I send out an email, or sometimes it's on Saturdays, but just a check-in, letting people know how the firm is doing, what our plans are, how everything is going, and um, you know what I'm seeing in terms of whether we're going to come back to the office and when that will be and how that will look. And then Mondays, we have our Zoom call, and then we also have a Zoom happy hour once every two weeks. So it's been, the communications have certainly changed. I personally crave personal face-to-face interaction. Me too. (laughs) And I've noticed who in my office does and who feels very good about just these kind of check-ins and everything's fine. So it's been funny. I've actually learned a lot more about my team members, I think, through all this. That's great. It's a good side effect, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they've also when, seen like the worst of me too, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all seen the the best and the worst of each other through this this time frame, right? And it's good. I think it'll have long-term effects that are really positive and and hopefully not not a ton that will be very negative. I hope so. I agree. I mean, I'm an op- optimist, so I think me too. somehow we're all going to come out on top on this. I hope so. Let's cut now to part of my conversation with Kathy Toll. You've heard Kristen Prinz from the Prinz Law Firm talk about the issues at play in employment law related to COVID-19 and the transformation and difficult decisions having to be made by leaders during this time. Let's pivot and talk to Kathy. Kathy is the senior manager of change management at the Parker Avery Group, a consulting firm that works specifically with retail and consumer packaged goods companies specializing in integrating consumer insights and multi-channel business models. Kathy's background in retail change management, training, and transformation is vast. I'm so glad she could join me on the podcast, and let's jump in and hear her thoughts first on transformation and change management in today's environment. So it's interesting, Kathy, as a leader in change management, 
you've been in a lot of ways like me, like someone in sustainability has been for years in this COVID-19 crisis, we all feel like we've been screaming at executives for years to, to listen before it's too late. When, when you're thinking about your clients and, and people in, in change management and transformation, with all of this coronavirus crisis, are people finally sitting up and listening and saying, oh, I get it. We need to, we really need to change. We really need to do some transformation work here. Are you finally getting some traction with some of those people who weren't listening before? Yes, I feel like um, there has definitely been an awakening, I think is a good word, even um, amongst my firm when, you know, we talk about change management, we often think of it as a process, as um, opposed to a way of life or a competency you have to develop. And when we talk about transformation, as we go through transformation, it's not always easy. And I think I had the light bulb go on for um, some folks to go, oh, that's what you mean. It not being a pro it is a process, but it also can be a transformation. And when you don't know what's happening, it's incredibly unnerving. Um, and interesting, over the last, I would say three or four weeks, I have developed more change leadership training proposals than I have in my career. For people internally who they feel like maybe their leadership doesn't have the skills needed yes. to get through this. Wow. Yeah. So we've got our clients coming to us, like senior management, middle management, all levels. It's like, we're struggling. We need help. Yeah. We need to figure this out. Not only how to be good change managers, but how to be good change managers from home. Well, that's it too, right? It's the mm -hmm. remote twist to it that some people are, and it's as simple as um, revisiting communication styles. And, you know, people are forgetting when you lose the verbal cues, you come across differently if it's just a text or an IM chat or an email. And people are, there's been some feedback um, that our clients have received saying, uh, yeah, you're coming off as a, a bit too abrupt or curt when it's not their intention, it's just the person can't see them and interact with them to know, like maybe soften it or, you know, put an emoji in it. Well, um, and it's funny because we think that Zoom is face-to-face, -face, which it, it obviously is, but I was listening, um, Adam Grant did a podcast on work from home a couple of months ago that I've talked about on the podcast a few times. I love him. And he was talking about how actually the, we are never as close as you and I are sitting right now in a Zoom call. We're never actually that close to people in yep. the office. So you actually are four or five feet closer to someone than you would be. And it's harder to tell the cues of their body language and what they are when you're so upfront with someone, when you have to look them in the eyes all the time and people just get awkward. Well, and it's depending on the person and how able they are to work with their camera. You get a weird angle or your um, person's like looking down at you. So it's just really hard to get a natural conversation going when you're like, could you just scooch your, your you know, laptop ever so slightly? Absolutely. Um, but it's very much the, um, you know, so much of it is just going back to when you think about um, basic management skills. There's a lot of folks that have been placed in positions that were great at their jobs, so they were promoted 
into a leadership position without yep. ever being provided the leadership training background. It's like, you just do you, but get everybody else to do you as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where, especially when you're working remotely, that's where you start to see um, the struggle and some control issues and micromanagement occur. One of the topics I wanted to ask both Kathy and Kristen about in the conversations we had is layoffs. How can layoffs be done ethically? Can they be done cleanly and responsibly? And when I talked to both of them, I cited a couple of, of examples. One with Sephora. Sephora is one of the many companies who has received a great deal of negative publicity for a mass layoff that frankly felt incredibly unfeeling to a lot of people. Reports in the media claimed that Sephora leadership gave associates just a few minutes to join a phone call that lasted only five minutes or so, where they laid off almost all of their part-time employees. I've personally heard stories from friends and family of employees being laid off on a Friday after Monday their CEO said there would absolutely be no layoffs. Another colleague worked for a company that laid off 20% or so of its employees via email with no notice. These are the kinds of shocking, almost, stories that we hear about furloughs and layoffs in today's environment. I asked both Kathy and Kristen whether or not they felt layoffs or furloughs of a large number of people, especially in a pandemic or an emergency like this one, can they be ethical? Can they be done well? Let's hear their answers. First, from Kristen Prince. When you think about companies that have laid off or furloughed workers, how do you advise businesses to think about this in a responsible way? What is the right way to lay off a large number of people? There's a lot more wrong ways. I think mm -hmm. like a lot of things in life, there's a lot of wrong ways and it's harder to get the right way as much as possible. Anytime you're laying people off, I think you want to be compassionate, give people as much notice as possible. Um, I do think a lot of companies knew well before they were actually doing the layoffs that they were going to have to do the layoffs and they get nervous because you don't want to, in the, you know, you don't want to tell employees and have employees do anything that's going to be negative towards the company. But at the same time, in my opinion, it's just like with doctors. Doctors are less likely to get sued if they have a good bedside manner and they treat people with respect and they're kind and also own up to their own mistakes. I think um, that's how companies should handle it. Whoever's in charge or a manager or a leader should take some responsibility for this and, and give people as much notice as they possibly can and be very compassionate too about it. So I like I said, I mean, there's a lot of wrong ways to do it. And I think with hindsight, people always learn from these experiences. There was so much frantic movement in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think some people made bad decisions, you know, for, for uh, most of my clients, I don't think any of my clients really laid people off. Ever, pretty much everybody did furloughs and it was very well communicated. People were given as much notice as possible and, and also like given insurance things like that. You know, even if the company might not be able to bring you back in the long run, if you could do that and it complies with your insurance coverage, that's a big thing because without this federal stipend, I mean, 
unemployment basically barely pays for insurance coverage in this country, you know? Yeah, that's, that's difficult. And I think for a lot of those companies that are doing furloughs or, or layoffs, the number one benefit that they should give people is to cover insurance as, as long as they possibly can. But I've also heard of other companies doing things like providing financial planners and resume writers and, and things like that. And, and those things go a long way, I would assume, especially for a furloughed worker. If the company gives you a few more benefits during that time, if it can, it might go a long way to bringing you back at the end of that furlough and to combating that resentment that you kind of talked about. Yeah, I definitely recommend that companies provide outplacement services. Um, You know, there's some great outplacement companies right here in town in Chicago, and it's always a good idea to provide that to give people support so that they can look forward. Again, it's another thing that probably lessens claims too, because people are focused on finding a new job and not as focused as on a, a continued dispute. You know, I, I love litigation, but I have to say litigation is not fun for clients. It's just not for either side. Mm-hmm. So um, as much as I try and think of it, my dad's actually a surgeon. He says the best surgeons do everything they can to help their patients avoid surgery. And I think the best litigators do the same thing. Do whatever you can to help your client avoid that. And then when you're in it, fight as hard as possible. Coming back to Kathy Toll on this question of ethical layoffs, specifically in the retail environment. Let's jump in with Kathy on that question and then also move to our next topic, which we're talking to both Kathy and Kristen about, bringing employees back from furlough or layoff, combating resentment, and taking care of employees' mental health. Layoffs are never, it's never going to be an easy topic, but they certainly can be done with more finesse and more intention than we had seen um, from some organizations that you truly would not have expected it to be that abrupt and that what appeared to be very callous. Um, They're hard conversations and now you're having them over Zoom or WebEx, Um, but you have to have them because all your employees are wondering and we're anxious, we're anxious already. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've got a lot of swirl in our, in our country right now and in our culture. And on top of it, I'm concerned about whether I'll have a job or not. And that stress is worse than knowing or not knowing if I will. If, if, you're, if you're considering changes, give me a heads up. Absolutely. Um, particularly for smaller organizations where you know cash flow, you know, it's not an endless um, sort of a bank account um, that are, you know, are, are really trying, and a lot of the smaller retailers too, um, have been incredibly creative with how they've come up with Facebook Live events and Instagram um, and pieces like that. So can it be done humanely? Yes, absolutely. Um, but some thought and some courage um, from the leadership has to be put into it. Yeah, the hardest thing that I see out there, and I've, I've heard this from multiple people who have been on layoffs or furloughs, is companies, for instance, telling employees who are not laid off or not furloughed that they're not allowed to talk to the people who are. Right. 
you know, it's, it's things like that that just cross the line of humanity to me. Of this person was your coworker yesterday, and especially in the case of a furlough, they might be your coworker again in three months, but for now, don't talk to them. Right. Yeah. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of people that have come back into the work environment, whether it's a retailer or it's a retailer's corporate office, is they are struggling with A, um, they might have inherited responsibilities now that one of their colleagues was doing. Um, so they're overwhelmed. Uh, they feel guilty. And then depending on the legalities around the furlough and the state, sometimes they absolutely aren't allowed legally to speak to a furloughed employee. Um, there's other times when um, the case might be different, but it's 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 terribly i mean it's it's cognitively distra distressing for these people to think about i'm here my colleague isn't i'm getting dumped with all this work they're not <laughs> type so that it's it's like a push pull so what advice do you have for for instance a manager at a retailer or any business that is bringing employees back from furlough, how do they combat resentment or anger or even like you said, guilt in the existing yeah. staff who weren't laid off or furloughed? How do you go through that as a leader? How, what should you be saying? What should you be doing for your employees? Yeah, that's a really, it's interesting because people will go through cycles of emotion at different points. Um, and as a leader, even if you are not normally that kind of empathetic, touchy-feely, you have to, on multiple levels, um, whether it's you're um, holding um, morning stand-up meetings, quick check-in, guys, let's just, you know, what's everybody working on? Let's go around the room. And then there could be follow-up with some one-on-ones because the observation of how somebody is currently performing versus what you have known them to be is critical. And if you ignore it, that is in essence you accepting it. So if you're ignoring um, uh, what appears to be um, angry behavior or sarcastic behavior, by not addressing it, you are acknowledging it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not. And it's totally fine to sit down with the person and go, yep, I'd be tweaked too. <laughs> right. I totally get it. You know, it is a completely valid feeling right now to feel a little miffed because, you know, you were thrown up in the air for the last several months and now, oh, you're back and expected to carry on as usual. And we don't expect you to be the same person. Right. This is going to take some time. Uh, and that's where I really think leaders have to be, you know, they, if they haven't been, um, scholars of emotional IQ, they better be. Because mm -hmm. all you need to do is watch somebody um, and, and be able to understand. It's like, you know, the, their behavior is different. Um, and don't guess or try to hypothesize, ask them. You literally, it's like, ask them, hey, let's sit down and have a, you know, come in, you know, grab a cup of coffee. Let's talk a little bit. Yeah. A lot of this, I think, comes down to great managerial training and these yeah. companies saying to their employees, giving them the leeway to say, sit down with every employee, ask them the questions, ask them how they are. Um, but that comes into the company providing that EQ training and, and development to their management as well. That's it. And we've even, with retailers bringing back in their workforce, 
um, you know, there's been some very um, tumultuous experiences in stores that there's no rule book for. If you have a customer that completely is going to go sideways mm -hmm. um, for a protocol that you're asking them to follow, the management has to be comfortable enough to give leeway to their people to make accommodations. And it's like, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. Here's a gift card or to empower them to do things that normally they wouldn't have. Um, and they absolutely have to be um, years ago, growing up in retail, we called it service recovery. So if you, and you could see people coming into a store and they were carrying your store's bag and they looked miffed and you're like, <laughs> they're not. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. And they had a return to do and they were just loaded for bear and sure you're going to put up a fight is we were taught specific skills on how to neutralize that situation. That was decades ago and it's the same type of circumstance now, but it's not taught as much. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think retailers look at their frontline teams as having to neutralize anything. And I'm like, well, they do now. They do. And then I also wonder, Kathy, the, toll it takes on those frontline employees. I mean, you see the videos, right? The one that just came out in McHenry County in Chicago this week of, you know, this woman screaming at Home Depot and you see the Costco videos of people refusing to put their masks on to come inside. I can't even imagine, first of all, you see those videos of these employees who remain so calm, so calm. And then you think when that person gets in their car at the end of the day and they take off their mask and their shield and let their guard down, you can't imagine that these people are not sitting in their car crying after being screamed at all day. Right. How do you, how do you as a leader take care of your employees' mental health during a time like this? Yeah, I think that that's a really good point because anybody in the hospitality customer service, if you're a hairstylist, and you're working in this environment, it is physically exhausting. So then you see somebody like there's, um, I might witness an incident and have to step in to help an associate um, on the sales floor. I would take a look at that person, even if they still seem to pull together, say, you know, take a couple minutes. Yeah. You know, head off the floor, grab a soda, you know, kind of pull yourself back together. And that's when the smallest gestures, I'm like, buy them a cup of coffee. You know, do they, do they love chocolate? Get them a chocolate bar. Somehow yeah. recognize it's like, I know you're putting up with more than you really should right now. And thank you. Um, we very much appreciate it. Um, but you have to acknowledge it. And I wouldn't accept if somebody seems to be shaking it off, I would keep an eye on that person because we've all been in that situation where the person walked away and then you just started to shake. Right. Where you're like, okay, what was that all about? Right. Yeah, everybody has to take care of their their own mental health right now. And especially even, even in a situation where nothing horrible happens that day, these employees are having to think through their own physical health and well-being right. and their customers' health and well-being yes. every moment of every day. Even that kind of thing. Actually, you you and I are on a text chain with some girlfriends, and we were talking about this yesterday of, you know, two weeks ago when things started opening up, you'd go to the nail salon or, 
you know, a restaurant and go, oh my gosh, this place is like a surgical center. Right. It is. Right. And then two weeks later, you go into the same place again and it's a little lax and a little more lax and yep. the training sort of falls off. That's tough, right? To keep up that level of diligence. Yes, it is. It's, and it's, it's rigor. It's a, it's a, it's a discipline and, and being the person that, you know, as we, everybody's sort of, you know, if they are back in their environment, they're relaxing a bit. Um, so we might necess not necessarily have to be as, as strict for the time being based on your particular organization's policy. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's for the protection of the employees and the customers and, you know, from somebody being, you know, feeling like the bad guy, it's like, really, I'm not the bad guy. I want to have fun too. Mm -hmm. uh, put your mask on. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I know one of your clients right now is a, a large manufacturer and, you know, I worked in manufacturing as well. It's almost bringing that health and safety rigor from manufacturing yes. into retail in for the first time. Absolutely. Because that is um, safety standards and, you know, um, protecting, you know, whether it's they're wearing earphones or they're protecting their eyes. All of those precautions are in some environments, like not, they're, they're not to be taken lightly. Yeah, because in a lot of places, I mean, I worked in the steel industry, safety is life or death in a lot That's of those it. places. Right. Yeah. And so now those, it's, I think some of the um, people that oversee safety and quality are like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the acknowledgement yes. that this is important. Um, you know, in retail years ago, you know, the stock rooms, you, you pile up, you know, cartons, you know, to the ceiling. It's a fire code. You're, you're, you're breaking a fire code um, policy. You can't do that. And I think people really now are recognizing things like that. Yeah. Can't do that. Not okay. And not looking the other way this time. This was the moment in my conversation with Kathy that I realized the conversations between Kristen and Kathy and I all had to come together because I brought up the same question to Kristen. How do you manage resentment as you bring employees back? I'm giving away all my secrets here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I am telling clients right now that they should communicate what they're doing to protect employees before employees have to come back. So what steps are going to be taken? What policies are going to be implemented? You know, you're going to have different levels of comfort. And so you really want to do your best to accommodate the, the highest level of anxiety. So I know some business owners, they might feel like, well, you know, I don't really want to wear a mask. Well, you should wear a mask whenever you're interacting with your team members because in person, I mean, because you want to set the example that this is how we're going to treat each other. You should have a policy about how people can warn each other that they're going to be coming to their office or that they require a meeting and asking each other, how, what's your level of comfort? Can we meet in person? Would you rather zoom? Mm -hmm. So all of those things, it's a little bit harder in a space like a retail space where you're saying, People have to be in here, but kind of also empowering employees to say to a customer, we really require a mask in a polite way, teach people how to, to manage conflict in that way. And maybe right. even have those have masks available that you're giving out disposable masks that the, comp the retailer can provide so that you don't have to turn a customer away 
but you can make sure yeah. that your employees are safe. Well, it makes you, I think we've all seen some of those videos, Costco and Trader Joe's and, you know, the women, it's always, it's always Karen, right? It's always a woman named Karen is the joke, right? <laughs> That's Screaming because her, her rights are being violated, but it actually makes you as a consumer, it makes me more comfortable to go to Costco and more comfortable to go to Trader Joe's because I know they have my back and that they're going to make sure even if it requires escorting people out of their stores, they're going to make sure that we're safe. And that means that they're making sure that their employees are safe as well. I'm yeah, sure I agree. Employees appreciate it. And it doesn't, I think it's funny how people think it's their right. It's not your right to go into a store. Just like, it's not your right to go in there, just take whatever you want and leave. That's, right. you know. I mean, it's, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service has been <laughs> in there for how many years and nobody argues about that. It's just, yeah, it's a level of ridiculous that's hard to swallow. So it's interesting. Um, you know, our, our governor Pritzker recently said we are quite literally rewriting the playbook playbook as we go. I'm sure in employment law, the, the normal employment law playbook just does not apply here. How is it kind of rewriting the playbook as you go in, in your sphere as well? Every time I'm advising a client, I said, let's be flexible because this could change. So in the beginning, things were changing rapidly. I mean, in one day, you might have four different versions of the same rule. Um, and then it started to become daily. It was a little bit different. And now I think weekly, the rules change a little bit. Right. We're getting guidance and then the guidance changes like, You know, the next week. So I think people just need to be flexible. And that's why I'm strongly advising leaders to be communicating clearly, not over communicating. I mean, don't be sending out emails every day, <laughs> but you know, a once a week recap about what's going on with the business, how the business is, um, or how the department or the team, whatever is adapting based on the government orders that are coming out and how the company is interpreting them. Because there have been different interpretations, even I've I talked to some employers who originally thought that they were under the stay at home order. And then after a couple of days realized, well, really, they are an essential business. So how do you deal with that? Because you tell employees to go home and that we're going to follow the right. stay at home order. And now you're saying, well, come back because we're essential. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you communicate that? We, we've been, I'm saying you do it very, um, very carefully very compassionately. And then also, especially in the beginning, let people have the time at home that they need if you can. Now, mm -hmm. if you're running a team, if you're running a business, you it's your responsibility to keep things going, right? Because then nobody's going to have a job if the company goes under. So you do have to have a balancing act, but, you know, and sometimes employees understand that. And sometimes employees think, well, this isn't fair. So I do think you have to have the conversation though, open communication and see how the person feels. And if there's something that both parties can do to make it more comfortable. Yeah. I think that's um, the concerning things you hear about, right? Are companies coming back to work and, you know, wasn't a restaurant chain in, in Texas that said, if you don't report to work, you lose your job and you have to be willing to give employees that flexibility. Like you said, of, if they don't feel safe coming back yet, give them the time and the space to work from home or, or whatever you can do. But yeah. that's hard. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of businesses are, especially a business like that where they were shut down and they don't have any revenue coming in and they really feel like, hey, if you don't want to 
be going through this with us, then you're either on the team or off the team. Mm-hmm. I do understand that they have to make those decisions, but you know, this guy, it makes me think of what my husband says. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Yes. Sometimes just how <laughs> it's executed can make all the difference. Well, this is, I am doing, I know you did one of the coffee and connect sessions with executives club. I'm doing one um, tomorrow morning and you know, about resilient businesses and human businesses during this time. And the number one piece of advice is before you do something, say something, make a decision, like take a step back, take a breath and look at it and think, is this how I would say this if I were talking to another human one-on-one? Yeah. It sounds stupid, but it's like, if you, if it were your, and I always hate when people say this, but it's, it's a good lens right now. Like if this were happening to your kid or your brother or your sister is this how you would want them to be communicated to? Is this the kind of thing you'd want to say? Like talk to people like humans. And sometimes I think we get that CEOs, especially and and sort of the C-suite gets in this place of, I can't say something because then I could get sued for it. Right. Yeah. No, people do get overly careful. You know, it's, I have this theory that most things in life are the, the most important things in life are really simple, but they're not easy. And I think this is true there, that it's a simple idea to be mindful of your communications, but it's, it's not easy. We've all slipped up. And I think also owning that, that we all sometimes slip up is really important, but it is extremely important right now. And if you're a leader, you don't get the benefit of just saying, well, okay, you know, you can't keep making the same slip up, which is what a lot of leaders end up doing. Yeah. And I think also just being willing to say as a leader, there are things we don't know and we're not going to pretend that we know. Um, I sit on the board of Chicago Architecture Center and our CEO, Lynn Osmond, has just amazed me during this time of her ability to communicate and say, I'm not going to tell you things that I don't know. And I'm not going to pretend that I know what six months from now looks like for us. And I think it creates ambiguity a bit more ambiguity for your team. But I think as a team member, you would much rather have a little bit of ambiguity than have someone say, don't worry, everything's okay. Everybody's going to be okay. Or on the other end of the spectrum, everything's burning. Everything's <laughs> gonna, it's going to be terrible. So I'd much rather know the truth and have a little bit of ambiguity than, than have you, you know, lie to me. Yeah. And know that the person in charge is actually on top of it and trying to pay attention, even though Nobody knows what's going to happen six months from now. As my conversation with Kristen Prinz wrapped, I think we all have those same sentiments. We're not sure where we're going in the coming months. But in the last eight minutes of the podcast, let's wrap with Kathy Toll as she shares with us her thoughts on the retail environment and the permanent changes it might experience because of COVID and her advice to CEOs in going forward with change management and transformation in this pandemic. Do you think, um, this is probably a, a gimme question, but I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts on it, given your expertise in retail. Has this been a watershed moment for all retail? Will we have curbside pickup forever? Will there be less, you know, has this moved online shopping even further? How will retailers have to permanently change given what's happened these last few months? It's interesting because a lot of our clients are, are struggling with that exact dilemma where they might have had their technology roadmap, what they thought you know, was their 18 to 24 month plan, and they're having to completely throw it out 
because something like curbside pickup, oh, we were going to get to that. No, that is an absolute, that is the price of doing business right now. Mm -hmm. um, online, believe it, you know, there's, there's still some retailers that don't have a website. So getting up a website. <laughs> you and I were talking about oh, one. Should we throw them under the bus? We were talking about home goods. Right, well, Homegoods, no website, but they they have a model that's very difficult for them to put on the web because yeah. they are, you know, sourcing from lots of different places. Yes, and we we actually my firm has a client, it's kind of similar model. They don't have a website, and they pivoted. They have a website now. Wow, and but that's what we're finding now is somehow, um, I, and that that's where. You know, if you need to get it done, you get it done. And yeah. we saw retailers being so inventive about how quickly they could pivot. And granted, it's duct tape and it's rubber banded together. And now they're backtracking, but they're understanding this capability is not going away. I like pulling up and having somebody walk my stuff out. Well, the other, it's funny, the other day I w went to the Apple store, I, my phone had, you know this, my camera was broken for months where I couldn't take a selfie. So I broke my own selfie habit, which was lovely. <laughs> but I finally get into the Apple store. I never want to go to the Apple store in any other situation because what they're doing right now at the Apple store is every single person who walks into that store, whether they are there for a repair, whether they're there to buy a charger or they want to buy an iPad or computer is accompanied by an Apple employee. Yes. So you wait in two, I think there were actually three separate lines. There were like computer repairs, iPhone and iPad repairs, and then shopping. Yes. And you get this one-on-one. -on -one. I could imagine that Apple sells more in that environment, has happier clients in that environment. You you wait a little longer on the front end, but you get what you need going forward. It's, it's a transformation and a disruption that I actually think may make their business model stronger going I, forward. It pushed, I think, a lot of retailers. I mean, it's like you, you can't just say, you know, we have a digital, you know, we're going digital. You can't say that. You have to do it now. Yeah. And yeah. that means a certain level of spend on technology. That's a huge change management issue for your associates, for people in the corporate office. Um, but those types of challenges now, and it's, I mean, I have been, particularly small business have, small businesses have been so inventive with yeah. how they kept their business going um, to the point now where they're continuing it. They do Facebook Lives events that are so wildly popular that there yeah. is a small retailer in Virginia now that they've had their best months ever on these kind of auction Facebook events. Yeah. So they found different ways to get to their customer. It's so interesting, you know, uh, what is it, you know, crisis, never let a good crisis go to waste. Is that, yeah. the, you know, there's a store in the West Loop in Chicago, Cat and Mouse Games. And my husband and I have been doing puzzles and you literally couldn't buy a damn puzzle anywhere. Right. Target had no puzzles. Amazon had no puzzles. You could not get a puzzle. Well, Cat and Mouse Games had tons and tons of puzzles in their small store in the West Loop. They did curbside pickup. I went right. and got like, I mean, I spent probably a hundred bucks with them that I would have, I didn't even realize they were there before, right. you know? And it's those kinds of re retailers that are going to do well by things like you're talking about, like Facebook Live, Instagram exactly. sales, that kind of stuff. Yes, it's my um, colleague um, has said, and, and I'm like, it, it's necessity is the mother of all invention. Yes.
And you, we sure saw it. And then the people that couldn't move fast enough or have chosen not to, you know, we are seeing now the consequences of what's happening there in the industry. And it, yeah. it's hard. I mean, these are, you know, for me, having been in retail for so long, these are some classic businesses that you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Just never thought would not be around. Um, but it is very much now that that's, uh, that's our story. Yeah. So as we wrap here, what do you think, if you are talking to CEOs, what's the most important thing that CEOs can do as we navigate this crisis for their people, for their employees in terms of change management? Oh gosh. And I wish I I could go into every CEO and say this. Um, Every organization, all of our clients have their COVID task forces. Right. And normally what we've seen is they're all C-level people. And sometimes they're a little out of touch with, why don't you go two levels down? You know, why don't you talk to some of your directors and managers and the people that are um, not necessarily working the front lines, but are three or four levels below you. If you could create your COVID um, advisory group to have a mix of levels and experience, you would be so much wiser. Because what they're not thinking through are the very, very small, it's it literally, it's small gestures we're looking for. We don't need some grand, you know, Google gave all of their um, people a thousand dollars to outfit their office. Just acknowledge. <laughs> that this is a new world for us Mm -hmm. but they've got to have better you know we always talk about 365 feedback they have legitimately have to ask and be ready to hear what the feedback is from their people on a variety of levels yeah and be willing to change when they hear that feedback consistently i think that's something that i've seen management hearing their employees, but then not reacting right. and, and making the, the necessary improvements. And that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a three strikes, you know, you hear it once and you're like, okay, you know, it's even if I've gotten feedback, somebody's giving me feedback. Sure. Okay. Second time I get it. Okay. I'm now I'm paying attention. Third time I get it. I'm like, it's me. <laughs> so <laughs> sit up have, and listen. Yeah. I have some work to do because this has now become a pattern that I'm hearing. And it's the same thing executives have to do is, you know, you hear it, you know, once in a while, but if it's a consistent theme, if you're not addressing it, that's very disrespectful to people. I so hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have with Kristen Prinz and Kathy Toll. They're two of my dear friends. They're brilliant women. And I hope that their advice on employment, navigating the return to work, and all of the issues surrounding it during this time have been helpful to you. I also hope you've enjoyed this crossover episode between office baggage and table stakes. They're two passion projects for me. And you know, I hope you're listening to both. Have a great week and we'll see you next week on Office Baggage or Table Stakes.